Welcome to SNAP, Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities. This educational recovery podcast is presented by Claremont Mental Health and Mandy Friedman, licensed professional clinical counsellor. This presentation contains vital information for survivors of abuse. Topics include the spectrum of abusive personalities, targets of abuse, abusive relationships, and survivors in recovery. We hope this information helps you gain solid footing and clarity as you navigate your road to recovery. licensed professional clinical counselor, clinically certified domestic violence counselor, clinically certified trauma professional, the creator of SNAP survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities, the owner of Claremont Mental Health. I'm here with Michelle Minette and Michelle does what I do. Michelle is an expert on narcissistic abuse and a lot of other things too. She's been working in the field way longer than I have, has a lot more education and experience than I have. So I'm really excited to have her here today. And we're going to talk about a topic that you all know and love and been asking me about a lot. And I always just have the same things to say, but Michelle has a lot of really great things to comment on having to do with co-parenting with a narcissist. So Michelle, would you mind just introducing yourself to us? Tell us about your history. Tell us what you have to offer in your practice today too, because I know there's a lot of people that need these services and it's hard to find somebody. So Tell us about yourself, Michelle. Right. Well, thanks. Thank, oh, thank you for having me on as well. Um, so, yeah, my name is Michelle Manette. I'm a certified holistic life coach with a practice based in Hamilton, Ohio, um, where I focus on helping people heal from narcissistic abuse. I also work with trans youth and their families. Um, I am the owner of the practice called fallthatwellnesscoaching.com. Um, where I have, Wait, let me make sure I have that F all that wellness. Absolutely. Yes. As in like F all that. As in F all that. Yeah. Obviously, like it. It's, obviously it's for forget. Forget all that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Just, that's my favorite word. So I appreciate right, it. Right. Right. Mine too. Fudge. <laughs> it's in there sometimes. But it's a, a member and um, program-based practice. Um, and the programs were added to help address the problems that we have with lots of people on wait lists for traditional therapy services. So they're just eight week programs for people to learn skills and maybe improve their life while they wait or in addition to traditional therapy. Um, I've been in the field for 17 years, I'm working with children and adults in outpatient, inpatient, residential, community, uh, behavior, community health private care. Uh, I've worked with people in prisons. Um, and I did uh, write the, the current program that they're using in Butler County um, for the mandatory parenting class for parents who are divorcing. And I taught that class for over 10 years. So it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Well, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's dig into the topic. But first, can you describe to us what is the difference between a co-parenting scenario with, let's say, non-personality disordered individuals 
um, versus a scenario with co-parenting where one of the partners might be personality disordered or specifically have a lot of narcissism in their personality. What's the difference between the two scenarios? Okay. Well, what we like to teach for parents that are no longer living together or together as a unit is co-parenting. A co-parenting situation is the best situation for children, right? Um, but if you have a high conflict ex or you're in a high conflict situation, which a lot of people um, are in a high conflict situation just because of divorce, which eventually resolves itself, and then you're in a position to co-parent. But during the high conflict situation, you're going to parallel parent. When you have an ex who's either a narcissist or we can just say a high conflict individual, right, then you're going to parallel parent for the rest of the time that you're, par you're parenting. And that looks very different. So in co-parenting, you're basically parenting very similarly to the way you would be if you were sharing the same home, if you were still together, right? In parallel parenting, you're putting up walls, you know, and making sure that there aren't breaches of, so you want to make sure there isn't access to you in parallel parenting, right? It's all about the child. So I always like to give this scenario. Let's say, just so you know which situation you're in, right? Let's say your child is all of a sudden having um, night terrors, right? And so we would call up the person we parent with and say, hey, you know, something's going on. I noticed that this is happening. Um, is this happening in your home? So if they respond and they say, oh, my gosh, that must be horrible. Let's go ahead and make a doctor's appointment. It hasn't happened here yet, but thanks for giving me the heads up. You're co-parenting, right? If, however... They say, do you want to guess what the other one is? What they would say. Well, that hasn't happened here. Exactly. Or so what's, going on, what's going on at your house that that's happening at your house? Right, right. Must be something you're doing. Right. Then you're in a parallel parenting situation. Right? And so okay. parallel parenting means that you just uphold the basics Right. It's like um, it's like when people are questioned by the police. Right. You answer only that question. You know, you don't give any more. Um, and so that's that's what you do. You know, like you, you can even follow a template. Here's here's information about school. Here's information about health. Here's um, questions I have about upcoming switches, changes, trades, you know, visitation schedule, whatever it is. And only that. But we're not going to just go ahead. So in one situation, you are working together. And then the other situation, you're having to sort of uh, compensate for the high conflict partner. You're, you're compensating in some ways. Um, and you're also, like you said, protecting yourself and having to navigate that element in the relationship, which is that that person's not healthy for you. Exactly. But I would also, I'd kind of rephrase that a little bit if you don't, if you don't mind. Course, right. Yeah. So yeah, you are protecting yourself, but I always like to think of it this way in parenting that by protecting yourself, you're protecting the child. So by not leaking information about anything else that can be come back, that can come back as like, I don't know, emotional, I like to call it emotional ammo. You know, as when you're not leaking information that can become emotional ammo, 
you're protecting your child from them having parents in conflict. Excellent. Yeah. I love that. And, that kind of gives permission too that that practicing this is healthier for everyone. It's really not about just protecting yourself. By you protecting yourself, you're also protecting your child. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, no, and I'd also oh go ahead. Oh well I want to rephrase the other part of it too. Yeah, go right? ahead. I forget the word that you use. Um Oh, the compensating. I think we get into trouble when we think about parenting a child with a high conflict or narcissistic ex when we feel like we have to compensate for their behavior, because then that can lead to parenting in ways that um, aren't best for our child. Right. So we can't make up for the treatment that happens in the other home. But what we are doing is we are. Um, we're just setting a good boundary. So in the parallel parenting, we're just, this is how I'm gonna parent. I'm in my lane, this is how I'm parenting. They get the information that's super important. I get the information that's of the utmost importance, but we're not commenting on each other's parenting style, as long as it's not abusive, right? Um, it's like parallel play, you know, one-year-olds sitting next to each other. We call it a play date. <laughs> but they're both doing different things. And as long as they don't see what the other's doing, they don't try to take it. So we, we talked about the difference between a typical scenario of divorce where you're shared parenting. And then I love the term that you're using because it really sums it all up. There's a high conflict version. And in that high conflict version, there are differing ways that you have to navigate it because you're not dealing with your typical person. This is a high conflict individual or a high conflict scenario that means that you're not working together and someone might be actually kind of working against you in a way. So if someone is in this situation, how would they know? Like what would be common things that would go on? You know, you said a moment ago, uh, a really great example um, about, you know, let's say someone had a night terror and you're talking to that person saying, hey, so-and-so had a night terror and how differently that would go um, in the two different scenarios. Would you mind giving us some more examples like that of ways that you can tell if this is happening to you? Yeah, one of the most common things, and this is more about uh, the situation because they see it often whether or not there's a high conflict ex, but in, in a divorce almost all the time, um, parents will argue over <laughs> what clothes the kids come back in, you know, or whether or not the child's items can leave one house and go to another, you know, or whether or not somebody's getting enough. And so if you see that you're, um, you know, on one end of that argument, right? Like they're coming back in smaller clothes or the new clothes that you sent over are, are being obviously exchanged for different types of clothing, then you're in a high conflict situation and you might want to be on guard for paying attention to whether or not that resolves whether or not your child gets to the point where they're in the situation where they can take whatever's theirs you know back and forth i'm sure you've heard that before too it happens all the time people complain yeah yeah and they, they use they use any kind of strategies they can muster, including not just weaponizing the child, but weaponizing the child's belongings. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which takes us to another one, right? That we get into belongings. Um, you know, I've noticed this is a, a, a pattern is that they'll ask for something that seems pretty benign, right? Like, oh, I forgot that one chair. Remember, like, we got that for that anniversary and I'd really like to have it. Is that okay? And then the next month it's, I forgot that table. Remember how I mended that table? Right? And it's it doesn't seem like a big deal. So go ahead, have it. You know, and then the next month it's something else. Doesn't seem a big deal, but it's starting to kind of bother you. You know, it will always, that thing where it doesn't stop, you know, where it's just unending, you know, and at some point you're forced to set a boundary, but it's going to be over something stupid or appear as if it's over something stupid to everybody else. But what they're actually doing is they're showing you that they can still come in and disrupt your life. Right. And make it look like you are the jerk. There's some sort of like purposefulness to these behaviors, you know, like it's yes. it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. And you start to maybe pick up on that, that this is a pattern, mm -hmm. you know, and then you start questioning the motivation like, oh, well, it's because it helps them or it's because it makes them feel like they're still in control or because it makes them look good as a parent. Um, you know, so you, you, and then when you start to tell people, what do they say? Oh, right. You're the, yeah, you're crazy, right? How could you possibly think that that had anything to do with you? Right. And it is, it's, it's, it's exactly like that. It's all about if they, and you know, you went over the list and I was thinking, well, the really good ones hit all of them in one fell swoop, right? They show you that they can get access to you. You know, they use the child, all of it. Um, even down to, let's say you've finally gotten into a position and we're talking about shoring up, you know, breaches, you know, or, and making sure they don't have access to you. One of the best ways is to have the school be your transition point, right? Like they go home from school on Monday with one parent you know, and they get dropped up in the morning by the other parent. When they start finding ways to have to meet up with you, right? Oh, I bought them this and it can't go to school. So I'm going to have to meet you in person, right? Because if you are leaving a narcissist, if you're leaving a high conflict person, then you've left an abusive situation and it's difficult to heal when you still have access to the instigator of that trauma, to your abuser, right? And there's something about them that, I don't know, like knows that, <laughs> Yeah. Well, essentially they use the child to continue controlling you right. when they had no interest in being a parent while you were actually together. Yes. You were doing everything most likely or most of it and doing all the emotional labor anyway, mental labor. And now yeah. that you're going through a divorce, all of a sudden they want 50-50. Yes. There was never 50-50. No. Okay. No. All right. So here's here's some good news I have. And that is that Michelle and I are going to do more of these videos because this is a topic that people really need to hear about. So we're, we're going to kind of skim it a little bit today 
and give you some starting information. But then we're going to have several more videos that we make where we really dig in. And if you have a particular scenario that you'd like to share with me, we can have Michelle read over your scenario and comment on it specifically. So, you know, send me a message, an email, or message me through social media. And if you've got something you want her to look into, we can do that. So, Michelle, let's wrap this up with some things, some actionable items, so to speak, that people can take from this video and know what to do or what not to do. So let's do, right. let's say, four do's and four don'ts. Okay. So the, the do you want to start with the do's? Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> so do set firm boundaries and stick to them consistently. Right. I don't know. I think some people feel better when they're able to give exceptions. First of all, narcissists are high conflict exits, right? They don't see your exceptions. They expect exceptions. And second of all, exceptions are the easiest way to tell somebody to keep asking and to press more, right? Um, I do follow the parenting plan strictly. It's a good yes. thing to fall back to what that says. Um, do your best to make anything that you need them to do their idea. That's a really advanced skill and it takes time and distance and actually healing to get to that point, but it's so valuable. Very, yes. And along the same veins, do give them the opportunity to rescue you when you need something from them. Yes, right, because once we learn about high conflict or narcissistic individuals, we recognize the patterns of their behaviors and the things that tend to calm them down, right, as well. You know how they love to work us over. Um, there is an opportunity at a certain point when you can be more emotionally detached that you can navigate this person in a way that is reducing the conflict, but also um, getting them on your team without them realizing that they're now actually on your team. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. We'll give them the idea they're leading the team. <laughs> Ooh, that's what, yes. That specification is important. They yeah. are leading the team 100%. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. that there are areas of parenting that are their expert subject matter. They're the subject matter expert of this particular thing in right. the situation. Like, um, they take care of this and they do it well and you compliment them on it. Mm -hmm. even. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or that whole like, I really need your help. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. That's good. Did we do four? Yeah. Yeah. We did that four? four? All right. So we did the four do's. Will you say them again? Uh, do firm boundaries. Yeah. Firm boundaries and be consistent. Do follow your plan parenting plan strictly. Um, do make it their idea and do give them the opportunity to rescue you. Love it. Yeah. And I'll create a little graphic for this too. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Now, what are the four don'ts? Okay. Don't respond to everything they say or text, right? I tell my clients all the time and, and nobody's proven right. If you can prove me wrong, I want to hear about it, but nobody's been able to prove me wrong yet. You know, when you get those really long paragraph texts, 
you know from the first two sentences that it's going to be nasty and it's you know abusive you read the first two sentences once you realize that it's nasty you skip all the way down and you read the last two sentences the last two sentences have all the information you need don't bother yourself with everything in between and don't comment on anything in between right right well if you don't read yeah. it you can't if comment you don't read it you won't know but if you do <laughs> but you'll read be it, tempted <laughs> yeah if you, but if you do read it you certainly aren't going to get engaged on those things because that's the whole trick right it is all trick it gets you off topic right it puts you on the defensive and then you never actually end up resolving the issue that was the whole reason you were in communication to begin with you know yeah okay so don't respond yeah do everything they say do everything they say yeah, you're just keeping your eye on the ball. What is the goal of this? What is the goal of this back and forth? And become a broken record. Always bring it back to just that. Don't respond to anything else. This is what I call content versus intent. Oh, I like that. Where we we stop getting, you know, caught up in the content because the content's bullshit, right? Yep. You know, the the content is is just there designed to trap you, get you sucked in to weaponize information. Cause then you give information cause you taught, you know, you're explaining and now you're handing over information. So when we don't get caught up in the content, but instead think about the intent mm -hmm. and something people will ask me, well, how do I know the intent? And then I'll say, well, how did it make you feel? Absolutely. Do you right? agree yeah. like that, you know, that that's the evidence. Like I feel afraid. I feel pressured. I feel overwhelmed. I feel incompetent, that kind of stuff. Right. And actually I'm surprised I didn't like put this in my notes, but I often say, you know, if you feel pressured, the answer is no, not because no isn't, or not because yes is the wrong answer, but because you'd be saying yes for the wrong reason. Right. And so we have to pay attention to when we feel pressured. That's how they get us. Absolutely. That's like a red flag in the situation is that yeah. you're feeling pressured. Then that means, okay, this isn't, this isn't for me. Right. Why not healthy? Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. I got that one. That's good. I like that. Yeah. All right. So the next one is don't give them access. Right. And, and I talked about, we talked about that earlier, but I think it's, it's important to bullet point that don't give them access. You know, if they start getting information from family and friends that are on your social media, then maybe you have to block those family and friends or not be friends with their family and friends. You know, um, shut it down. They're, and they'll tell you every time they have access to something, it'll come up. Yeah. You know, oh, you need child support, but I saw you spending this much money at that festival. Okay. Right. <laughs> no longer on my social media yeah i have a friend um who you know divorced a narcissist and you know he's just a monster and she works really hard three kids doesn't make that much money he of course isn't paying what he's supposed to pay makes everything difficult but never she never buys anything nice for herself never you know, she only ever spends money on the kids and she gets things secondhand for herself. Well, her friends, you know, she's a runner and she gets get together with her friends to run. 
and her friends noticed that her shoes were getting pretty rough and they went in together and bought her a new pair of running shoes. Aww. Well, when she's exchanging the kids or maybe it was from social media, I don't know. He notices the new shoes and then says to one of the kids, well, I guess I know what your mom's spending my child support money on. Right. First of all, he's not even paying it. There is no child support money. Second of all, that's not even true. What the? Right. So. Right. Yeah. Right. So don't give them access because any tiny little morsel of anything they get, they weaponize, even if you're not the one giving it to them. It's true. It's true. And it's sad sometimes, you know. When you realize, but unfortunately, you know, a, a, a breakup, a divorce, any kind of end in a relationship with somebody that's a narcissist or uh, toxic, it's just not a Switzerland situation, right? You, you, I'm sorry, you know, like it just it it's one of those situations where it isn't. Not everybody gets to stay friends, and unfortunately, the friends and family have to choose a side. Very true, you know. So. Yeah. All right. That was two. Yeah, that was two. All right. So don't assume that others will see what you are seeing or what you're going through. So one of my favorite stories, and it's it's a good or yeah, stories about it. It's a good analogy because it's disgusting. So if you'll allow me a little mm -hmm. disgusting. I love disgusting. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> so I always say, right, like a narcissist, right? You're nowhere around, but a narcissist will take a dump on the sidewalk in front of your friends and family, right? Mm -hmm. And still be buckling their belts when you show up and they'll already have everybody convinced you're the one that took the dump. Yes. They've already prepared for what you're going to say about them long before you even know the relationship is ending. So when you try to share the things that you see that you're going through, you're the one that looks like the crazy person because they can't believe that your ex is that crazy that they would do that stuff. Yep. It's, it's a trap. It's all a trap. It is a trap. You know, it's like they're going to know you so well that they predict your behaviors. They also get to know your people really well. And they've already done little test runs with each of them in some ways. And so by the time you know what's going on, and like you say, you respond, you have fallen right into the trap that they've put in place for you. So if you're like, how dare you shit on the sidewalk? You know, and this is horrible. And who's going to clean this up? And furthermore, you're saying all these things to my friends and family, you look over and everybody's just looking at you and they're pointing at you going, see, she's crazy. Yeah. She's, she can't even admit to what she does wrong. She won't take responsibility for anything. She's emotionally unstable. Do you see how upset she's getting over nothing? You know, yeah. and it's like, and then that puts into question with your people. So, right. yeah, I mean, okay, that was, I like that story. I like that. Yeah. that they're so crafty. It's that malevolent creativity. And people don't believe 
that unless you're seeing it on television in a TV show or a movie or it's a serial killer or we're watching true crime, then we'll believe it. But if it's somebody that you already know and that you kind of like them, then it can't possibly be true. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, they're standing there saying, yeah, remember I've been telling you for years she was going to take a shit on the sidewalk. Look, it just happened. You know, looking at you. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. It really is impressive to study, right? But that's also, you know, why we've come up with the things that we do, right? Like I run, I came up with my group for that very reason. Because when you've experienced this, you get isolated and trying to share it, you learn not to share it with people, which is how, what normally is supposed to help you heal. But you learn not to share it with people because nobody else gets it. So unless you know you have a support group, a group of people who get it and understand it, it's difficult to begin that healing process. It's true. You have to yeah. find your peers. Yeah. Sure. And you got to find the right professionals for sure. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, those two things have to happen. Yeah, that's it, a whole nother podcast. It is. It really is. <laughs> and we should talk about that. We um, should. So many I agree. People come to us with stories of what happened before they found us, don't they? No. Well, in all of the all of the social media groups that, you know, I'm in where they talk horribly about the mental health profession because the therapist that they went into, you know, became an enabler. And it's, you know, and it's not most, most of the time, I would like to say all the time, but we can't. Most of the time, it's no fault of the therapist. It's the way that we're clinically trained, you know, um, unfortunately, puts the therapist in a position to perpetuate the abuse by accidentally enabling just because of the unique nature of the abuse. And how malevolently, malevolently creative they are it's true. In, in the therapy room in a, in a relationship counseling yeah. situation. Yeah. I mean, very manipulative of the therapist. Um, and you're not really see, you're not really seeing um, if, if we're, if we're doing the high conflict thing with the wrong therapist, you know, there's that yeah. enabling piece individually and systemically in a therapy room, but also you're not getting, you know, the person who's more so the target, as I would call it, um, they're not going to be themselves in that therapy room. They're not going to be, they're going to probably look like the crazy one sometimes, right? Don't we see that where, yeah, you know, the, the, the more abusive partner comes in cool as a cucumber, really nice, easy going. And then the other partner looks, you know, kind of, mad and 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 they they might be kind of sick of this and they're ready for the therapy to show some truths so then they will explain explain pressured speech talk over top of and the therapist is like hold on now let's let your partner speak Ooh, that's gonna lose i mean then that's gonna really make let him speak or let her speak you know like it's that that's all we ever do. I thought we were going to face these issues in here. So then right. the, the person who's actually the target, just like in a courtroom setting, yes. winds up looking like the more emotionally unstable one. Uh, and then the other one is ready for this. They're using the part of their brain that allows them to have a low resting heart rate and think strategically while the other one is in their trauma center of their brain in survival mode, trying to fight for their life and their kids. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Was that four? No, that was what? Okay, four. Let's do four. So four is it's basically don't fall for their charisma. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, especially in the beginning, it's it's difficult to not every once in a while see that person that that illusion, right? That illusion that is the person that you fell in love with and and fall back into it super easily. You know, just one statement of, well, I never want you to suffer. It's better if you do better because our kid does better if you do better. You know that I care about what's going on with you because it's better for our child. You know, and meanwhile, they've gone month to month to month taking things from your home, you know, as long as you could be pressured into giving it. Um, they've refused to, what, like pay child support. They've trashed you to all of your friends and family. You know, um, they're smearing your name through the divorce proceedings and re-narrating your entire history. And yet here you are in this one moment going, oh, you're right. I do believe you, right? So remembering, like I always kept like, I was talk to my clients too, like about keeping just that one moment, that one moment where you first saw the ugly, you know, where you first saw them for who they really are. And just keep that on ready file in your brain. So in these moments, that'll flash. And you'll be like, oh, right. Right. Because we need something to cut through in those moments, don't we? We need something to sort of rattle us back into our logical mind. Right, right. And I'm not saying to break out of it so that um, you get into an argument or you remind them of it. No. I'm saying, you know, break out of it so that you can think clearly about what it is they're trying to get from you in that moment, because that's absolutely a sales pitch. Do you also notice with your clients that they have a real problem with that, that they really don't like having to become more strategic, more scientific, more objective? to treat the creature as the creature it is and not as the creature you wish that it were, that yeah. that is especially hard for our clients. And in itself, that almost feels like a death or a loss to be grieved, that we can't walk around with our rose-colored glasses on anymore that we used to love so much, you know, that, that we love seeing the good in other people. We like that, right. we like that perspective of humans because it makes the right. world a little more, I don't know, hopeful. It's true. And then you learn this and you not only learn it, but you learn that you have to figure out how to navigate it and that there are certain ways that we do this and there are certain ways that we don't do this, like in our do's and don'ts here. Um, but by learning that one of the do's is that to protect your empathic self and to preserve your, your empathic powers is to become more strategic. And I'm not saying that we become like-minded as you know, with a narcissistically abusive person um, or system or group. It's just that you have to fight fire with fire sometimes. You're not gonna win because they have the upper hand in right. the scenario. If you don't fight fire with fire, if you don't learn how they really are, and yeah. how to navigate them, you're going to lose, you are at a disadvantage, period, end of story. 
Right, I agree with you completely. And I think there's a double-edged, there's two reasons for that, right? Like the first reason is for whatever reason, they still want to believe that that person that they fell in love with is in there, was there, whatever. And it doesn't feel good to not be open and vulnerable and normal <laughs> with somebody that you shared such great times with and, and you know, great love with. But I think on the other hand too, there tends to be, I don't know, among the clients and the people that I've worked with, this high level of integrity or this big sense of integrity where um, it feels bad to be strategic, right? And so they want to call strategy manipulation. And, and I can even see an argument for that because, you know, we, we manipulate others when we present information in a way to get them to agree to something or not agree to something um, based on the way the information is presented. Whereas if they'd been presented all the information at once, right, they would have made a different decision. And so, I mean, I guess in a way, and so that answers the fire with fire, right? But I always, I, I always try to bring this imagery to the table. It's, it's like, you know, like you're in a castle, right? And you're building up the outer wall of the castle and you're probably digging a moat and maybe even throwing some crocodiles in that moat, right? And sometimes you have to pull the drawbridge up because they're around, but you're not attacking their city. You're not attacking their castle. And that's the difference. You're being attacked. These strategies are just to help you build up the fortress to ward off the attack. You know, but you are not building your own military campaign and trying to go out and tear them down. Some people are, and that's for another another discussion and in individual individual sessions, right? But so that's that's exhausting, you know. But um, but I think that 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 kind of makes it a little bit a little bit clearer. You know, you're not getting down in the mud with that. You're just figuring out their strategies and responding to it. Exactly. Exactly. And by being strategic, neurobiologically speaking, you're accessing the part of your brain that's going to allow you to make better decisions anyhow. That's a good point. And you're yeah. also, let's get back to the main point of this is the children, right? If not, if, if being that way makes you feel bad or that you're not, you know, to protect yourself, then consider that you're actually protecting your children. And then, you know, in individual sessions, you can sit down and talk about all the different ways, you know, that these mental gymnastics are actually awesome boundary setting techniques that you're, mo you're modeling for your children rather than, right, that bullshitting persuasive crap that they're going to witness at the other parent's house. Wow. Well, I can tell that we're going to have a lot to talk about. I know. I'm kind of excited. Me too. I love this. <laughs> so, Michelle, you mentioned at the beginning of our interview here that you have some programs that you're putting together at your practice. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think you have one that's called F Narcissism, something like that. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's called okay. F Narcissist. Yeah. So these programs are eight week programs or an hour a week with a group of people 
that are interested in learning skills, uh, same skills that you are. And so one of them is called F-narcissist. And obviously that's on how to navigate and heal from narcissistic abuse. Um, and that's actually, I'm going to, that's starting in October, um, the next the next one. Um, eventually, I think coming this winter, I'm going to have what's called F co-parenting, <laughs> which is going to be on how to parallel parent with a toxic ex um, or high conflict ex. Um, but I also have starting in October F feeling bad, which is all about how to navigate um, intense emotions, you know, whether you're uh, struggling with depression or like everybody else these days, like really struggling with anxiety. So, so these are giving people like the foundational pieces that they need to move forward in their healing and recovery, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. They're psychoeducational. So it helps you understand why you're feeling what you're feeling. Um, and then also gives you tools for how to work through that and move toward the actual healing, you know, feeling more empowered and being able to, to navigate that going forward. It doesn't replace, it's actually best in addition to traditional therapy because we don't get into, you know, your own private unique situation, you know, and how the skills can help you individually. Um, but it can be appropriate for people that just want to know the skills. Well, thank you so much for telling us about that because I know that there are many people that, like I say, they're not finding the professionals that they need to find. Or when they do, there's a wait list, right? And this is something that someone can do to supplement the therapy that they find elsewhere too, right? So while you're waiting or during, this is, this is something that's going to help speed up the process of your therapy because you're not going to be spending the time in those sessions working on some of these base, more basic items, Absolutely. right? Yes, it'll free up your individual sessions to focus totally on you and your unique situation while you're building the skills outside at a lower cost point as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And they're, oh, they're also, I'm oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead. They're also offered hybrid. So if you can't make it into my office in Hamilton, Ohio, um, some of the class always joins via Zoom. And you can see people from anywhere. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be Ohio or Cincinnati where we are now. It could be anywhere that somebody could dial in for that hybrid feature. So yeah. that's really awesome too. This is, this is available to anyone who, um, I guess speaks English, right? <laughs> oh, yes. I, yeah. I am that American. I only speak. <laughs> really. But yeah, Thank I mean, I have, yeah. I have clients um, yeah, that are in other countries, right? I've got a client now that's over in Sweden and I've got a client that travels back and forth to their family in Asia, so. Exactly. So this is happening everywhere. Everywhere. It's, it's happening globally and it's been happening historically since the beginning of time. We also know that this has been going on forever. Um, yeah. It's a part of the human condition. And today we have research, we have people that have, are now becoming experts on a topic that nobody's been wanting to touch for a long yeah. time. And we have social media, we have YouTube, we've got TikTok, we've got these other ways that, of disseminating the information. 
Um, and so now it's one of those hot button topics that people kind of get a little bit upset about sometimes even. I've noticed it's a little bit taboo for some to examine this. So that's why it's so important that you find the right professionals and the right setting because you'll find others that um, have a very different view uh, on the situation. And I would go ahead and say there's a good chance that they've never actually walked in our shoes. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. And we're going to do it again for sure. No doubt about it. I hope this has been helpful. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review. Find Mandy Friedman, LPCC, CCDVC on YouTube and Facebook. Join the SNAP Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at The Official Snap. Thanks for listening.